It is Tuesday, December 20th in this year of our Lord 2022. Uh, and I'm reporting to you live from Los Angeles, California, in the United Corporations of America. And we got a fun show for you today. We're going to be talking about uh, some of the the grocery store merger between Albertsons and Kroger, we're one of the only outlets that's been covering that at all. We got some updates there. Uh, we got some other updates in some more antitrust worlds. We got some uh, abuses over at Wells Fargo. Basically, the theme today is uh, really, really large, powerful companies doing really, really terrible things. That's the theme for today. Huge companies that run this uh, country doing terrible things. In fact, that's where we're starting because we're starting with Elon Musk and Tesla. And we got a special guest to uh, to unpack some of this. But first, so here's something that dropped recently in regards to Tesla and Elon Musk. Colin, if we could uh, pull up that, uh, that More Perfect Union tweet. This is from More Perfect Union, which by the way, Tina Desiree Berg, shout out to Tina. She uh, once said more perfect status, which is uh, kind of assuming a more perfect union and status quo collaboration, which I personally would be all for. More perfect union. They do some amazing work. Anyway, Tesla illegally fired two workers for criticizing Elon Musk, according to new federal complaints. The workers were part of a larger group of Tesla discussing, discussing excuse me, and drafting letter, letters critical of Elon Musk. One employee was told those discussions were an attack on Tesla. So basically what these uh, employees were doing is they were drafting a letter. They were uh, complaining about the return to office order. Now, this is something that's been going on all over the country. A bunch of employees were told, hey, you got to come back to the office. You can't work remotely anymore. Now, study after study shows that remote workers are actually more productive. It's actually more productive to just work remotely. So some companies decided, hey, screw it. We're saving some money on office space. People like working remote. Great. Other companies, not so much. Well, why were some companies in the not so much category? Well, because all of the landlords uh, and people who have office spaces, they didn't like that. So they rallied their friends over at Wall Street and they rallied their Wall Street friendly publications to say, we got to get people back to the office. And of course, that's the side Elon Musk fell on. So they kind of wrote a letter critical of this. These two employees did. They were also critical of some of Elon's tweets saying it was harassing. And uh, I think even though the letter didn't even move forward, these two employees got fired anyway. So they got fired for very, very unjust cause. And we have a guest today who was also fired for a very, very unjust cause. He is an ex-Tesla employee. Please welcome to the show Mamadou Diallo. Mamadou, how are you, man? Good, Ron. Thanks for having me on the show. Thanks for being here. So uh, let's start with your story, and then we're going to get your take on some of the other happenings. But um, why were you fired? Uh, I believe that I was fired uh, in terms of, uh, well, for retaliation reasons. Uh, I was costing the company a lot of money uh, due to my medical issues, my disability. Uh, I developed uh, uh, epilepsy while I was working at Tesla. Uh, in January of this year, uh, after working there uh, since uh, the summer of 2021, I was in the store uh, just doing my job, flying the Tesla flag, I'm not going to lie. And then uh, I had a seizure. And uh, next thing I know, I woke up in the hospital and I got diagnosed with epilepsy. And uh, uh, and I had also a heart condition at the same time. Uh, they're trying to uh, 
I have a catheter insert here. They're trying to measure my uh, my abnormal heartbeat. Um, so multiple things happen just like that. And uh, I try to get back to work ASAP uh, within a week, actually, even though I had a three-month driving ban after you get a seizure in Maryland. Um, so Tesla didn't uh, really make that process easy at all. I had to prove that I had a disability to them. Um, and then once I had that form sent in from the doctor, they completely rejected that. And then I had to resend another form to the doctor from the doctor. And they finally accepted that. Um, but then they still didn't allow me to get back to work until freaking April. Uh, and I didn't get back pay at all. Um, didn't qualify for anything. And at the same time, I was getting threatened um, of being let go because Tesla's whole insane return to work policy, um, you have to keep excusing yourself. So it was just uh, a firestorm. It was like they didn't want me to come back at all. Um, so with that being said, I come back in April, I get a raise for performance uh, reasons uh, due, due to all the sales that I had before I had the seizure. And um, meanwhile, I also had a promotion in January. And then come June, you're fired within a day's notice. Yeah, wow. it was crazy. So, yeah. So, yeah. so you you was, had a seizure. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. I, I was fired for performance reasons. That's that's their reasoning for that. After being top salesman in the whole region the week prior selling 12 cars. So ridiculous. Wow. Wow. So so you so you have a, a seizure at work and you find out mm -hmm. that, that you have epilepsy and you find out you have a heart condition. Now now you found out both those things at the same time. Yep. Uh, same time when I woke up, the doctors gave me an option. Uh, do I come back to the to the to the uh, to the doctor's office every week to get my heart checked, or do they insert a catheter, which is you know they built it up to be way better than option B? So I chose the catheter right on the spot, and I watched them insert it. And it was it was it was wow. happening quick. Yeah. Well, first of all, Ridiculous. you know condolences uh, uh, and and all the best to you, like all the best wishes. So you. Uh, how did Tesla like make it difficult on you? Like, like what were some of the things like, how did they just reject? Like when they rejected it, like, what did they say? Did they, did they not believe you or, or like, like what, like walk me through that a little bit. Basically. So they had, they deal with uh, FMLA issues with another, they, they leave it to another company called, um, uh, I, I, I forgot their name right now. Uh, it, it's a lapse, but um, this other company, uh, deals with FMLA requests, you know, leave and disability requests. So I hand in the doctor's note, and on the bottom of the doctor's note, there's a doctor's agreement. Uh, all the doctors in the building, there's a date there and signatures of all the doctors. And this date is from the previous year. So Tesla said that this date, you know, interferes with the whole issue because it's not up to date. And I was like, but that's just the doctor's agreement on the building. It was some minute issue they had with that. So the doctor said, are you ridiculous? I mean, are you kidding? This is ridiculous. So they literally just erased that and sent the same note in. And then Tesla said, it's too late. Basically, the time has elapsed for your, you know, to excuse your, your leave. So, I mean, so I we mean, have all this in, in email. Mm -hmm. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It sounds like they just wanted to, they just wanted to screw you. So, so they just figured out a way to, to have a discrepancy because that's absolutely ridiculous what they did. Right. And I called that company that deals with these requests 
And I reached the head, some doctor who was the head of the whole thing. And she said she'd call me back. So I wait for this call, never get it back. I call them again and I get some other lady and she was, you know, completely dismissive, hung up the phone. It's like, am I in the twilight zone? Granted, the whole time I was working for Tesla, I, I sacrificed 10 to 15% of my paycheck every, every pay day uh, to stocks, to the Tesla, the employee stocks. I never got any of that back. And I got fired one month before I was supposed to get my, uh, my stocks that have vested for a year. So it's all highly coincidental. Oh, my God. That's well, what I mean, what course of action do you have now? Like, is there any is there anything you can do as far as uh, a wrongful fire? I mean, obviously, if you're looking into litigation, you probably can't talk about that right now. But but like, but like what course of action do you have within your rights, if anything? Well, I'll say luckily I, I, I recorded all the key key moments that uh, kind of incriminating Tesla. Um, and I decided to file a lawsuit, um, mainly disability and um, wrongful termination uh, and retaliation because I haven't been able to get a job since I got fired from Tesla. Um, and these 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 companies want me. So I go to these interviews and we do all these, you know, get really far in the process and then they, something happens and they're like, thank you for your interest. So retaliation and disability, we filed with the EEOC. Um, Tesla didn't answer uh, my plea for mediation for settlement. So we had to file with the EEOC and the EEOC is currently investigating the case right now. And I'm waiting to hear back. Well, I, I wish you all the luck in the world. It, it's absolutely terrible what they did to you. And, and that's just, I mean, I, I think it just really speaks to the kind of company they are. Um, now, yep. you said you were really flying the Tesla flag. So let me ask you, you know, before we get into some other topics in regards to the company, um, you know, did you once have a different idea of Tesla as a company? And then was it soured for you? I mean, like kind of emotionally, what was that process like? Yeah, it was very, it, it's just, it's just soul destroying. I mean, because you kind of see this holy grail of a company you're led to believe. And, um, you know, even when my dad was like really into it, we come from, you know, West Africa and solar was something that we were really interested in because there's a lot of deaths from uh, deaths in villages that where we come from because they still use kerosene. So I was really thinking like, oh, I'm going to use, or me and Tesla are going to work together uh, to provide solar infrastructure to these to these countries that need it to save lives and this and that and i was like elon musk is the one blah 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 and just to first get the call from tesla to come work for them out of the blue that elation and then to arrive at the company and see how it's run by people that don't even know anything about the product and are so oriented towards money and it's just it's really not what people think it is and there's a lot of people who are just looking for that for that idol we're just so iconoclastic that it's just it, it's so it's sickening and it, it, my eyes have been you know cleaned out <laughs> i can see clearly wow. now and uh, it's 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 just mm -hmm. yeah so when people Clicky. say that like oh elon musk is doing all these amazing things for the environment is that from your perspective pretty much just a facade yeah, especially if you think about it, it's a high-end product that you know, well-off people can afford, um, and it, there's so much, it, so much damage occurs uh, to the earth and its production, like the the mining and 
you know, how the earth scarred for thousands of years after, you know, those excavations and the labor that goes into there, the slave labor, it's, it's, it's really not what people think it is. And you look at emissions around the world, has Tesla really lowered emissions around the world? I would say not. They probably increased it because of all the production demand. So it, it, it's just kind of a facade. That's what I would say. Wow. So getting into the, this news story here where, where these people were, were fired for uh, for drafting a letter. Um, so how how are the, how is that experience like when you saw this in the news today how, how did you feel like oh this this kind of mirrors what i went through it's surprising that it's so similar especially mm -hmm. the performance uh bonuses right before you're fired it points to a lack of cohesion in management at tesla and it seems like somebody's sending out emails saying do this do that the next day um at a whim, uh, and it's Elon. You know, me me working there, I just saw the erratic change of pace and the erratic change of ideas from the leadership. And uh, yeah, it's definitely he just thinks of something and he just does it. So, regardless so of that, your mm -hmm. sorry, no, go ahead. So uh, that's I, so basically like the way he runs Twitter, like he was running Tesla the same way. Yeah. Because yeah. it's, it's just Whatever like, you, he's just, mm -hmm. yeah, like he just makes I'm it sorry. up as he goes along and it's just whatever he, uh, whatever's just on his mind. He just does that and he, he doesn't think it through. He doesn't like, he just, he just is like, we're going to do this. Like, yeah, it's, it's exactly like that. Um, whatever's the most pressing, uh, thing at the moment everybody all hands on deck. If you can't make it, you're kicked off the ship kind of thing. Like before I got let go, I was, um, I arrived to work, um, after a freaking 40 minute drive. And, uh, when I arrived, my boss was like, Oh, we need help at another place because there's a lack of employees. And I wasn't feeling well that day. And I was like, can't anybody else go, you know, it's like, no, you're the only one. And this order comes from the leadership. It was like really targeted. And what do you mean there's a lack of employees? Uh, that was before the firings as well, you know? And um, I just drove there after my, my driving ban had just expired from the seizures. And I was just like, I can't do that. And then the next day I get fired. So it, it's it's ridiculous. It, it, it is. So, you so can you, see it's kind of unfolding for Elon. At well, yeah. So, so where, like, like from a big picture standpoint, how do you see all this ending? Because it's like you mentioned the stocks. I mean, Tesla's stock is going down, uh, and a lot of people, I, I think, have a much. I mean, a, a lot of people are never fans of Musk to begin with, but I think there's also like a huge subset of people that that just have a completely different view of this guy now, with everything from Twitter to stuff going on with Tesla. Uh, where do you see this ending? I always predicted that Elon Musk would completely leave Tesla, separate himself from it completely, and probably head to space with uh, whatever whatever end of it he's going to choose to go with, uh, whatever it is. But he's he's going to leave uh, Cyberlink. He's going to leave Tesla, and he's going to sell it to make even more money to fund something that's way more expensive um, and move it probably. So he's always just chasing the money. 
Um, he fired a bunch of people that I knew um, at the same time, and we all got hired at the same time. So that means all of our stocks were about to vest within a month. So he just saved a bunch of money um, firing all these people. And then he bought Twitter right after he I got fired. <laughs> so it's like, oh my it's God. Pretty, it's, it's right in your face. Yeah, it's really, how, how did you get so away with gross. this? <laughs> it's like, yeah. Oh, wow. Because he's yeah. one of the lords and we're the serfs, man. This is nuts. It's crazy. And then all these people are worshiping him. And, you know, I say one thing on Twitter. I don't have a Twitter account. I made one just to say one thing at Elon Musk. And uh, I, I got called a bot, you know, like a, a billion times and deleted my Twitter account. Because it's just, it, he's, he's worshipped. Um, and, you know, the, the, the status thing is that I got let go and I needed that medical uh, insurance because I, I can't sign up. I'm not able to sign up for anything right now because of my conditions. Um, I even tried to enroll uh, last week and they found out about the seizures and they won't cover the medication and I have to wait a year for it just to, to enact. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's sad. It's brutal. It, it, you know. So, so you haven't, uh, have you been, are you currently with health insurance or are you currently without? I haven't been, I haven't been with health insurance since they fired me. Um, nobody will really cover my, my condition because they're they're intertwined between my heart and my, and the seizures so it scares them every time i mention it they they ask me how many seizures i've, I've had during the year and um yeah uh the the uh when i had the seizure the second seizure in june um i'm in debt like seventy thousand dollars from that one experience you know and that's why they fired me i believe because the numbers were just too much for them to take yeah they didn't they didn't want to cover your health insurance basically yeah oh so evil that's just so i mean well and this is why this is how he gets away with it too all these things are connected how does someone like an elon musk and a jeff bezos how do they get away with what they get away with well one of the ways they get away with it is because healthcare is tied to a job in this country so that makes it so easy for you to exploit people yeah it's crazy like it's really the, the dark side of, you know, and a lot of people haven't experienced this side. So they, they just, oh, it can't be, they're just making it up. It's brutal. And I hope people don't experience it because it, you're left out in the cold. You're just used as a prop, you know, as a, you just feel used. You, know, you spend all your life's energy selling this product and you, and you devote your cash to that stock and they take everything from you. You know, crazy. So, United States a corporation. Yeah, no kidding. Um, where can people go to help your cause? Basically, I mean, I know you're trying to get the word out. Like, do you have, uh, you know, anything online people can go to? Is is there anywhere you want to point people to to uh, to learn more or to help? Um, I do. I do have a GoFundMe that Jordan, uh, you know me making made me realize about this so i did the, i started a gofundme um i can send you the link or uh, something like that but i'm not sure yeah yeah, yeah. just uh we'll, we'll drop it we'll drop it in the chat if you want to yeah if you want to send it over colin will uh we'll put it in the chat and we'll uh we'll announce it here uh link oh, okay the link's Thank in the description we already got the gofundme <laughs>
All right. Oh, uh, technology. <laughs> well, thank you so much for sharing your story. I'm terribly sorry to hear what you're going through. It is nothing short of criminal what they're doing. And, and hopefully, hopefully we keep fighting for a better tomorrow. So, so stuff like this never happens. And, and hopefully, um, you know, things, uh, we're able to resolve things here and get you what you need. Cause this is just so beyond messed up with, with these, what these people are doing. They're, they're, they're predators. Yeah. Yeah, they are. And I really appreciate you having me on tonight. Thank you very much. Thank you. Take care, Mamadou. Cheers. So that's uh, Mamadou Diallo. Um, yeah, there you go. I mean, that's everything about his story just shows you. I mean, all these issues intertwined here. This is how they exploit their workers. This is why, uh, you know, being a billionaire doesn't necessarily mean you did anything. It doesn't necessarily mean you're uh, some brilliant person. Elon has shown time and time again he has no clue how to run a freaking company. This is why healthcare shouldn't be tied to a job. This is why the United States needs to have the healthcare system that the rest and rest of the industrialized world figured out decades ago. They figured it out decades ago. It's not a Rubik's cube, folks. Rest of the industrialized world figured it out. And here in the United States, it's not that we haven't figured it out. It's that, well, we don't want that. Why? Because the people who really run this place, the billionaires and the Jeff Bezos and the Elon Musk and Wall Street, they don't want to not be able to exploit workers as much as they possibly can. And what's something that really helps you exploit workers? Tie health care to someone's job. Why don't we have more strikes in this country? Well, because first of all, we don't have living wages. So when people are one paycheck away from going under and they have kids and they have people to support, people that count on them and they just want to keep food on the table, they can't even think about striking. How else? Well, gee, if healthcare is tied to their job, they can't think about not being able to get their medicine, not being able to get their, their kids' medicine. So that's how we are kept under the thumb of the freaking ruling class. And you're seeing it firsthand. These are firsthand stories we're bringing to you here at Status Coup. So please check out that GoFundMe link. It is in the description. Uh, and if you help, if you can help Mama do out, please do. Uh, man, uh, this should not be able to happen anywhere. This should be like, like the, the fact that this goes on not just not just that this happens once but that this happens all the freaking time this is our system and this is why we scream for the things we do uh, man really puts you in the holiday spirit huh hearing about stuff like this knowing what the elon musk of the world are doing so uh you know it's awesome that Mamadou's sharing his story, and I wish him all all the best in the world. And if you can help out with that GoFundMe link, please do. Um, it's criminal that that's happening to him. It's criminal that this stuff happens to workers all over the country. Um, and it just—I I mean, this—it just needs to end. We need some serious status quo shifting change in this freaking country. Otherwise, stuff like this is going to keep happening and keep happening and keep happening. Huh. So. Moving on to some other happenings today. We, uh, you know, speaking of people doing terrible things and companies doing terrible things, the uh, grocery monopoly that is upon us. So 
one of the things that we've been covering here on Status Quo and I've been covering on uh, my show, Get Your News On with Ron, is the potential merger between Albertsons and Kroger. Now, Albertsons and Kroger are two of the biggest grocery chains in the country, and they want to merge, and they want to do it well, times are, uh, well, grocery prices are high. So what's that probably going to lead to? Well, that's probably going to lead to all these high grocery prices that we're experiencing now. They're going to become permanent. You know why? Because Kroger will have a near mon monopolistic grab on our groceries. Well, what, is, what does a monopoly mean? Well, it means that one entity has a huge or all of the market share. What's the market share in this case? Freaking food. We all need food. So if you have one entity that pretty much controls uh, nearly all of the food supply, well, what are they going to do? Well, they're going to kind of dictate the supply chain. They're going to jack up prices. They're going to have uh, they're going to be able to dictate prices one way or another. And they're going to screw you, the consumer. And guess who's a consumer for food, folks? All of us. We all need food. We all eat food to survive. Even if there's not a Kroger in your area, even if you're like, well, there's something else in my area you're still going to feel the effects of this because they're going to control such a dominant share of the market that they're going to set the price tone everywhere. And it's going to be higher, folks. It's going to be higher. So what do you need to combat stuff like this? Well, you need some antitrust legislation. What is antitrust? Most of the stories that we have today uh, kind of revolve around the concept of antitrust. Well, antitrust is policy that breaks up monopolies. It's policies that prohibit any one entity from having a dominant or completely exclusive market share of any one entity. The last time we saw real true antitrust legislation in the United States was in the 1980s, and it concerned AT&T. So what was happening then? Well, in the 1980s, AT&T had pretty much a monopoly on our phone lines. They pretty much ran all of our phone lines. They had a monopoly on long-distance calling. As a result, long-distance calling was super expensive. It cost an arm and a leg. They were also controlling the equipment uh, as far as making long-distance calls possible. So they were squashing competition, and they were engaging in anti-competitive behavior because if someone else wanted to start a competitor to them, well, they wouldn't be able to get the equipment because AT&T had a monopoly over the equipment. So... Antitrust legislation came in. They said, hey, AT&T, you can't do that. We're going to break you up a little bit. We're going to prohibit you from doing these types of things. What happened after that? Well, a bunch of other long-distance calling companies started to sprout up. Long-distance calls got a lot cheaper because they didn't need to be as expensive as they were. AT&T just had a freaking monopoly. Then what happened? Well, we got a bunch of other inventions like the answering machine. We got a thing called the modem, which helped lead to the World Wide Web as we know it today. Uh, so antitrust legislation is a pretty good thing. This happened in the 1980s. It happened during the Reagan administration. Reagan's no friend to antitrust, no friend to working people, but the public was loud enough, so we got it anyway. So we're in a situation now where there's a potential monopoly style happening on our food supply. So what do you think is going to happen? What, the same thing that happened with long distance calls is going to happen with our food. And again, it's a time when the prices are high anyway. So Amy Klobuchar uh, was among those who were on the antitrust uh, uh, main committee here in the U.S. And they had a hearing 
uh, with Kroger and Albertsons in regards to this merge. And the hearing was to express uh, all of those concerns. Uh, Colin, if we could pull up that link, we'll start there. Uh, the the grocery dive link uh, that that includes the Senate hearing. Let's start with that one. Uh, so the Senate hearing happened uh, a little while ago, back at the end of November. So this is from uh, an outlet called Grocery Dive. Kroger and Albertsons defend plan merger at Senate hearing. So a Senate hearing happened. And uh, we talked about it on the show before it happened. We said, okay, this is happening. Amy Klobuchar is going to ask some questions. Uh, so here's what happened. So first of all, they defended their merge. Um, McMillan and Albertson CEO sought to portray their planned $24.6 billion merger as a positive development for the supermarket industry as they dealt with an army of sharp and sometimes hostile questions from lawmakers during the hearing. Uh, if you haven't picked up on this yet, I'll let you in on a little secret. This grocery dive uh, outlet is very, very pro-industry, all right? So it's on the side of the people wanting to merge, just something to keep in mind here. It's They're on the side of Kroger and Albertson. Pressed by Senator Amy Klobuchar, uh, chair of the subcommittee, on how Kroger and Albertsons would bring down prices for shoppers if they are allowed to merge, as they have pledged, McMullen said the new and large company would begin plowing $500 million towards price cuts on its first day of operation and continue to do so during a four-year period. He said Kroger has not determined the specifics of that strategy because the company cannot share certain information as long as they are separate. That is kind of bullshit. Just so you know. Just so you know, that's kind of bullshit. Oh, we're going we're gonna to put all this money towards lowering prices. Well, how are you going to do that? What does that mean? Well, we can't tell you. Okay. Uh, let's go back to the article, if we could, please. Um so asked by Josh Hawley about how workers would be affected by the proposed merger, McMullen pledged that the company would not lay off workers in stores, distribution centers, or manufacturing facilities. Okay, here's the important part, though, folks. Listen to this next uh, uh, paragraph here. He declined to make the same promise about administrative staff, but suggested that Kroger, which would absorb Albertsons through the deal, would look to avoid laying off non-frontline employees. Okay, what does that really mean? Let me tell you what that really means. What that really means when they say, well, he didn't make a promise about administrative staff. That means they do plan on laying off a bunch of administrative staff, and then they're going to put in a bunch of people whose only concern is saving them money and driving up the profits for the shareholders, and those new people are going to say, we got to lay off a bunch of staff. So it's not going to be like they're going to move in and a bunch of people are going to lose their job instantaneously. They're going to do it through a slow boil, folks. They're going to lay off the administrative people first, replace them with new people who are going to say, oh, you got to fire all these people. It's like what happened in that movie Office Space where they brought in the consultants who were kind of like, oh, you got to fire this person and that person and this person and that person and we're not going to give Milton his stapler back. That's what's going to happen. That's what's going to happen. And Milton's not going to get his stapler either. I promise you that. So that's what's really going on here. Let's go back to the article, see what, uh, see what is uh, left here. 
So McMillan added that while Kroger and Albertsons have proposed uh, following a spinoff to buy stores they need to sell to win regulatory approval for the merger, the retailers will also place a priority on finding buyers. We will work with the FTC in terms of divesting stores to a viable competitor. And if that's not successful, using the spin code structure as well, McMillan said, referring to the entity they plan to create. Um, So. They were then asked by Klobuchar and others how they're going to lower prices, what, how they're going to keep wor- uh, workers whole. And, uh, you know, the answers were a little less than satisfactory. And by less than satisfactory, again, I mean complete bullshit. So let's go to uh, the update as of recent. This is from uh, The Sun. This is from an outlet called The Sun. Um, if we could pull that up, Colin. Warning, major change at Kroger and Albertsons may be more damaging than to your wallet as it sparks mass layoff fears. So a major change at Kroger and Albertsons may damage your wallet as mass layoffs have been sparked. The proposed $24.6 billion merger would give the combined company control of at least one-fifth of the U.S. grocery market. Kroger and Albertsons are looking to merge together by 2024. So they were asked questions. Uh, The deal would combine more than 2,700 Kroger's and 2,200 Albertsons. While the two companies have touted the merger as an opportunity to provide millions of Americans with fresh and affordable food while enhancing technology and innovation, some retail experts believe it could have unintended consequences for shoppers. Uh, I don't know why they're saying unintended. It is intended consequences. They just don't care. With Kroger already operating as the largest grocery chain in the United States, Forbes contributor Errol Schweitzer warned that the merger could make it difficult for unions to negotiate for higher wages or better benefits and lead to potential layoffs in office jobs like marketing and digital sales. Uh, Yeah, there's going to be layoffs in office jobs. There's going to be layoffs of administrative people who are then going to, uh, you know, lay off more workers because they're going to try to save money. That's what's going to happen. That's exactly what's going to happen. If we could go back to the article, Colin. Uh, additionally, the merger could cause issues throughout the supply chain. A merger would give the combined company tremendous purchasing plow- power with suppliers. So they're basically going to have a huge uh, market share on the supply chain, which is going to allow them to drive off competition. When you control the supply chain on food, you make it good for you. You make it bad for everyone else. So, yeah, they're going to start with a fifth but they're going to have such a huge market share of the supply chain. They're going to make it harder for other competitors. So they're going to drive them out. So eventually they're going to control all of it. And then they're going to dictate our price. Uh, They're going to dictate our prices. They're going to enhance food deserts. People are going to be priced out of getting food. So they're going to make shittier and shittier food to the point where, Hey, eat the bugs and be happy people. We don't care. And you're going to see grossly understaffed uh, grocery stores. Grossly understaffed grocery stores. Say that five times fast. Also, that should be the name of a punk band. And they're just going to rinse and repeat until they have a pretty much a monopoly on your food. And folks, wow. Wow. And it's coming. They're hoping to get this done by 2024. And the only people standing in their way uh, are tough questioning from people like Josh Howley and Amy Klobuchar, two people that, let's be honest, are very much friends to corporate America, very much friends. And even they are sniffing out the bullshit in this. Even they are like, this isn't good. Uh, They've even expressed, hey, 
you guys aren't justifying your merger in the first place. None of us are convinced that this merger does anything good for anything. Because it doesn't. The merger is just so they can all make more money while price gouging regular Americans. That's the point of the merger. But even Amy Klobuchar uh, and people like Josh Hawley are saying, yeah, you haven't really justified this merger in the first place. Uh, but there's really no real pressure on them to do that because chances are they're going to get what they want anyway. And they're hoping that this is uh, that this all gets through by 2024. So the freaking clock is ticking. Will they actually stop this merger from going through? I really hope so. But antitrust legislation in this country has really been asleep at the wheel since the 1980s. Again, they did nothing about the Disney mergers. They did nothing about all the media consolidation we've seen since 1996. They did nothing about the CNN Time Warner merger. They did nothing about the Comcast MSNBC merger. There's never really a merger that they don't like. They don't really do much about any of it. So who's to say they're going to stop this one? I certainly hope so. I mean, that's why we have antitrust protections in this country. It's supposed to help us. Uh, they're supposed to enforce antitrust when they need to, to prevent a monopoly. But everything is brewing. No pun intended with the brewing there. We're talking about food. Everything is brewing for a monopoly to happen. And all we're seeing is some tough questioning. So we'll stay on top of this. We'll see how this happens. Uh, we'll see what happens. But this could be a very, 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 very dark chapter for the United States. And I'll tell you what, folks, uh, start preparing. If you can grow your own food, start doing it. Start doing it if you can grow your own food. If you can't, maybe you live in a very urban area. Uh, maybe you don't have any green space where you live. I live in Los Angeles, so I can certainly relate to that. Uh, get to know your community gardens. Get to know every community garden in your neighborhood. I guarantee there's some out there. Uh, you can join a crop share. You can start going to your farmer's market more. Support your local farmers. Guys, we really got to rethink our food uh, culture in this country and how we get our food. That's something we should do anyway, because because factory farming and, and just the way our logistics work for food, it's actually terrible for the environment in so many ways. So eating local, if we all did our best to eat local, uh, that would make such a huge difference in our world as far as climate change and as far as fighting back against shit like this. I'm not saying that you can eliminate all of your needs. I mean, there's certain like non-perishables. You're probably going to need to go to the grocery store for stuff like that. Um, but if you can make a dent, if you can at least eliminate some of your food needs where it's like, okay, I'm not going to a grocery store for this. I'm, I'm leaning on my community garden or food that I'm growing myself or my farmer's market. Anything you can do, it does make a big difference. And not to mention, you're eating freaking better food. You ever do this experiment, all right? Get a carrot from a freshly, you know, like, like a fresh carrot from a garden, whether it's a local garden, your own garden, or a farmer's market, whatever. Get a carrot or whatever fruit or veggie you like. Uh, carrot's just the best example. And then get a carrot from a grocery store. Get like, get like just one of those like carrots from a grocery store you can get. Bite into the farm carrot and then bite into the grocery store carrot. Um, 
The carrots you get at a grocery store is uh, carrot themed water. That's basically what it is. You bite into it, and it's basically like 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 it's it, it's just a it's just an edible casing of water. That's what it tastes like. You bite into a fresh carrot from the farmer's market that you know was pulled less than a week ago. You bite into that, and you think, "Holy shit! What do they do to our food? What are they doing?" Uh, this is not. This is what a carrot's supposed to taste like. This thing from the farm. This bullshit from the grocery store. I don't know what this is, but it ain't a freaking carrot. Um, carrot's just the best example I got because uh, you know when I lived in Nashville, Tennessee, I was part of a crop share, and they had they had a wonderful carrot harvest, and I enjoy carrots. And uh, I remember when the harvest would end, and I would bite into a grocery store carrot for the first time. I just I would just bite into it, and I'd be like, "What is this?" What the hell is this? And I'd be like, maybe I should just go without carrots until this the harvest is back. Because this is some bullshit. Whatever I just bit into, I don't know what that is, but it ain't a carrot. So this is something to be aware of, folks. And we'll see what happens here. Maybe this merger will stop. I wouldn't bet on it. But either way, we got to prepare. So that's something that's happening. So... Let's move on. We're, we're going to stay in the antitrust space here. Now, some of you guys know that I was part, uh, well, still am part of a very heavy antitrust uh, push in the digital world. And it concerns two bills, OMA and ACOA. Now, ACOA is an antitrust bill in the digital space that starts going after the uh, abuses that Google and Amazon are doing. Uh, and some of those abuses include, so what Amazon does is uh, when you're searching for a product on Amazon, as many people do, because Amazon has uh, Amazon is responsible for nearly 50% or over 50% actually of all e-commerce. When you're searching for a product, what Amazon does is they make generic products on their own and then they list their generic products first. If you search for a product on Amazon, you're going to get their generic products first and all the other products that you may have been looking for in the first place last. So you're going to have to go through like multiple pages of Amazon's generic bullshit before you get to what you were actually looking for. So most people just end up buying the generics. And that's one of the many ways that Amazon makes more and more money. Uh, what Google does is they engage in a process called data scraping. What they'll do is they'll take data and information from another website and repackage it as their own. And then, of course, their stuff shows up first in search results. So let's say... I'm looking for information on horseback riding and horses. And there's this website out there that has a lot of information on horses and they have some other links you can click for horse riding classes, whatever I, I you know, uh, and, uh, and that's how they sustain their business. Well, Google will take all that information about horses from their website, kind of scrape it, repackage it as their own. And then when you Google uh, horses, you're just going to get Google's information and it's going to keep traffic away from that website and keep the traffic only on Google's information, uh, which will harm those other businesses. So that's the kind of stuff they engage in. ACOA starts fighting back against this. ACOA is a law that says, hey, Google, Amazon, you can't do that. You have to just let the search results be natural. People should be able to find the products they're looking for. You can't favor your own products and services over anyone else. It has to be a level playing field when people search for stuff. Uh, over in the App Store, we all use apps. It's a big part of our world. Apple has a near monopoly on that. Why? 
Well, because Apple dictates what software does and doesn't work on your devices, and they have exorbitant commission fees for any third-party or alternative apps. A bill called OMA eliminates that. They say, hey, you can't have these exorbitant commission fees anymore. We got to level the playing field. Also, it gives the user power to dictate what, um, you know, what software works on their own devices. So these are two important pieces of antitrust legislation that go a long way in breaking up big tech. Now, we've been pushing for almost a year now to get a vote on these pieces of legislation. They have popular bipartisan support. Amy Klobuchar and Chuck Grosley, some of the co-authors on these bills, actually. But Chuck Schumer has got to bring these bills to the vote. And Chuck Schumer has a million and one conflicts of interest when it comes to big tech. One of his daughters lobbies for Amazon. The other works for Meta, which is Facebook. And uh, they have spent, big tech has spent millions and millions of dollars to crush antitrust legislation. They've been trying to crush these bills all year. The clock is running out. A new Congress gets seated in January. So we are pushing for a vote during the lame duck session. Pretty much our main Hail Mary pass here, because things end this week, was to get it was to get these bills attached to the omnibus, omnibus legislation. Now, what's the omnibus? That's a must-piece pass of legislation that has to pass before Congress goes on winter recess. Because if it doesn't pass, you know, the government will shut down. So it's one of those must-pass pieces of legislation. We were hoping to attach the antitrust bills to that. Unfortunately, that has not happened. The omnibus, the omnibus, so hard to say. God damn it. Omnibus bill has been released, the text of it. And the antitrust bills are not part of it. So uh, here's a statement from Fight for the Future, a uh, full disclaimer, an organization that I collaborate with. Uh, but here's their statement on this. Big tech narrowly avoids regulation in the U.S., but their days are numbered. U.S. Congress has finally released the text of the final omnibus spending package, which is likely the last piece of legislation to move this year. Now, the good news is, is the COSA bill, that's another bill we don't have time to get into right now, but it was a misguided piece of legislation that would have created an end run around Section 230 and led to censorship of LGBTQ plus and abortion rights content. That bill didn't make it in, which is good because that was a bad bill. COSA was a misguided bill. It was called the Kids Online Safety Act. It did nothing to keep kids safer online. That didn't make it good. Here's the terrible news, though. The terrible news is that OMA and ACOA did not make it. OMA and ACOA did not make the final bill. Um, so those pieces of legislation are pretty much... Um, are pretty much in a whole heap of trouble. Now, is there a chance for something that is beyond a holiday miracle? Yeah, there's a chance. Oh, and by the way, just to give you the final price tag, big tech giants spent more than $200 million lobbying. That's how much they spent trying to crush these bills. And Chuck Schumer was happy to do their bidding. Chuck Schumer, the main bad guy here, but it's Chuck Schumer, along with big tech lobbying, along with Democrats and Republicans who take a big uh, paycheck from big tech, who didn't want to cross them, along with Joe Biden's indifference. He didn't care. He didn't use his bully pulpit at all. I mean, he's in bed with Comcast. They're against these bills, too. And they were able to basically crush this legislation. Is there a slim chance that there could be one more vote out there? Yeah, there, there's, I would say, less than a 1% chance. There is less than a 1% chance. Omni, the omnibus bill was basically our big Hail Mary. 
And uh, the Hail Mary didn't make it into the end zone. There is technically 0.5 seconds left on the clock. So please go to BidenPromise.us. Let's fight until the buzzer. Go to BidenPromise.us. Demand a vote before the lame duck session is over. This week is it. But um, but chances are we're going to take the L on this one. We got to fight until the buzzer. So please, if you have not signed this petition yet, please do it. Uh, but it looks like we're going to get the, the L here. And I'll tell you what, it hurts. It hurts. It doesn't get any easier, you know. If you're a leftist in the United States, uh, you lose all the time. Policy fight after policy fight. You know, you win some, you lose some. When it comes to policy fights, you know, I got about a 50-50 record here. Um, a lot of times your victories are preventing terrible legislation from passing as opposed to getting good legislation passed. But still, you take the wins uh, where you can. When it comes to the electoral side of the fence, uh, I personally have only experienced one win ever in my entire life. Now, by win, just to specify and clarify here, by win, I mean that um, somebody who I was able to support, able meaning I could vote for them, uh, and I supported them from the primary, went on to win in the general. You know what I mean? Uh, so as far as that goes, that's only happened to me one time in my life. Literally one time. And it was for the city controller race in L.A. recently. I supported Kenneth Mejia from the beginning. He won. Now, if I lived in other places and was able to support other candidates, would I have had more wins? Yeah, I would have. Uh, and are there times where I voted for a certain candidate who wasn't my first choice and they ended up winning? Sure. But as far as like this was something I was invested in from day one and we got a victory. That's only happened to me one time in my freaking adult life. So I am no stranger to losing. And just like every leftist in the United States, like we are no strangers to losing. The left has been, uh, you know, pretty much sabotaged and crushed in this country for about a hundred years, literally a hundred years. We had the new deal. And a lot of the powers that be was like, we can't let something like this happen ever again. So they crushed the unions, they crushed the socialists, they crushed the communists, they crushed the anarchists, they crushed the working class. They eventually started crushing the middle class. And slowly but surely, it ushered in this new wave of neoliberalism and capitalism. Um, and now we're kind of reaching the, the, the kind of epitome of all that. So, yeah, but uh, but please, you know, do sign that petition. We got to fight till the buzzard, but things aren't looking good. Things aren't looking good for antitrust. And, uh, you know, that's a tough L to take. That's a tough L to take. But, hey, I've lost in the past. I'll lose in the future. And, uh, you know, I'm going to be fighting again in 2023. Like, you know. Now, here's a little bit of uh, of optimism to end here. Uh, do, you, do we have that New York Times piece, Colin, about what's going on in the EU? Here's something that kind of proves that uh, people are paying attention to the antitrust fight all around the country. So Amazon agrees to some changes in business practices in an EU settlement. So Amazon has agreed to a settlement with the European Union regulators that will force the company to make significant changes to its business practices. Uh, let's go ahead and scroll down. The settlement, the deal will require Amazon to give makers of rival products 
can we go back to the article there? Uh, so the deal will require Amazon to give makers of rival products equal access to valuable real estate on its website. So basically, that's exactly what we're talking about. The EU has reached a deal with Amazon that says, hey, you have to give rival products equal footing on your website. You can't prioritize your own products and services over everybody else. So while this isn't some huge victory because, you know, look, Amazon's not going to face any penalties here. They're not going to have to pay a fine. The article mentions that. Uh, the world is paying attention. And the EU in particular has demanded that Amazon do something about this and give equal footing uh, when people are searching for products. So that's still a small victory. Underline small. Not going to sit here and pretend it's a bigger win than it is. Um, but the world is paying attention more so than they were before this campaign launched and the fight ain't over. We got to keep fighting. And, um, you know, it's tough engaging in policy battles. It really is, but, uh, it's something we got to do. It's something that we got to do. Um, and you know, because otherwise, I mean, the alternative is just, you know, giving up the alternative is just throwing in the towel. And I know, by the way, I know there's a ton of shows. I, I know there's a lot of shows that have already given up and they don't really call for action on anything. They don't really have any calls to action. They don't really have any policy battles they're fighting towards. They don't really have anything they're fighting for. Why? Well, because that way you never have to take an L. You never have to take a loss. You never have to say, hey, we didn't win this one, or hey, we were wrong on this one. You can just kind of armchair quarterback your way through things and just shit on everybody else. And it's good for clicks. It's good for clicks. But if you actually want to see a better freaking world, it ain't good for that. It ain't good for that. It's good to sit and, sit and just say, well, well, that didn't work. That didn't work. Well, what will work? Well, I don't know, but this won't work. Okay. It's really easy. To say, hey, I didn't lose the game. Well, you didn't fucking show up for the game. You didn't show up for the game. You know, it's really easy when someone goes up against a team who is, is grossly more powerful than them, who has more money, more power, more everything, and they know they're the freaking underdogs, and they show up and they give it all that they have, and they get the shit beat out of them, and they show up, and they're bruised and bloody, and then the person who didn't bother putting on the freaking pads points and laughs. And they say, ah, see, I told you. Yeah, well, you didn't even fucking try. You didn't even try. You're busy living on your knees. Well, at least we stood up. At least we stood up on our own two feet and said, hey, we're going to freaking fight back. So that's something to think about. Maybe that's something to think about. Uh, you know, how many calls to action do you hear out there? If you're hearing zero, maybe that's a problem. And I'm not saying that, that no other shows have calls to action, but, but I'm just saying, if you're hearing nothing, if you're hearing a big fat goose egg as far as, hey, here's what we could do, that might be a problem. Uh, let's go over to Wells Fargo. Wells Fargo is uh, is quite the doozy. Um, so let's start with what Wells Fargo did a couple years ago. Colin, if you can pull up the uh, 
the um, the Reuters article from uh, I believe that was the one from a couple years back. This is what Wells Fargo got in trouble for doing uh, a little while ago. This is from February 20, 22nd, 2020. Wells Fargo is going to have to pay $3 billion to the U.S. because it pressured workers into fake accounts. All right. So some of you guys might remember when this happened. Wells Fargo agreed to pay $3 billion to resolve criminal and civil probes into fraudulent sales, sales practices and has admitted to pressuring employees in a fake account scandal. Wells Fargo will pay the penalties to the U.S. Justice Department and Securities Exchange Commission. So what Wells Fargo was doing was they had these quotas that sales representatives had to hit that were absolutely ridiculous. So they pressured these workers into making fake accounts for customers. And then customers were getting screwed left and right because of these fake accounts they never freaking consented to. Now, Wells Fargo got a slap on the wrist for this. They had to pay a little bit. They had to pay a fine. Uh, and then what did they do? Well, they took it out on those workers. None of the executives who were really calling the shots here uh, paid any consequence. Instead, they took the consequences out on the workers who were probably getting uh, barely living wages and were just doing what the higher ups were making them do. I'm not excusing anyone's behavior. I'm just saying the real masterminds behind this evil scheme got away with it. All right. So that happened a couple years ago. Uh, here's what happened recently. Wells Fargo, again, is uh, is in a little hot water here. Let's pull up the CNBC article. Uh, Wells Fargo. This is what they did recently. Wells Fargo agrees to $3.7 billion settlement. Again, this is another slap on the wrist uh, with the CFPB over consumer abuses. So here's what they did recently. This is well, Wells Fargo knew it, newest. Uh, Wells Fargo agrees to pay blah, blah, blah. Um, they were, uh, the company was ordered to pay a record $1.7 billion in civil penalties and more than $2 billion to customers with 16 million accounts. Uh, go ahead and scroll down here. The bank's illegal conduct led to billions of dollars in financial harm to its customers for thousands of customers, the loss of their vehicles and homes. Consumers were illegally assessed fees and interest charges on auto and mortgage loans, had their cars wrongfully repossessed, and had payments to auto and mortgage loans misapplied by the bank. So the bank was having these miscellaneous fees. They were misappropriating payments that were being made, putting it who knows where, and people were literally losing their houses and cars because of this. So let's say you made a payment, they misappropriated and put it somewhere else. And then all of a sudden, these fees that shouldn't have happened were happening. Wells Fargo, holy shit. Look, and I know big banks are uh, sometimes hard to avoid. Not everyone's in a situation where they can completely avoid them. I understand that. If you can avoid Wells Fargo, though, probably a good idea to do so. All the big banks do similar bullshit. They're all freaking terrible. If you can avoid them entirely, that's great. Uh, you know, I'm like, I live in a, I live in a place where you can do that. You know, I, I live in Los Angeles. So avoiding the big banks and instead migrating towards credit unions and stuff like that, it is possible. I know some people, you might live in a place where you don't really have any choices and you don't really have, you know, anything else available to you. I get that. Uh, but man, these big banks are really, they are screwing us. 
And also they're screwing the planet. I mean, they're investing in, in oil and gas. They're investing in the war machine. That's where their money goes. That's where our money goes. And this is one of the many reasons why if we had public banks all over the freaking country, it would really go a long way in changing this place because public banks, instead of doing all these bullshit practices, screwing over consumers and then getting a slap on a wrist for it, like places like Wells Fargo, and instead of putting all this money towards the war machine and oil and gas, all that money would go back into the community. That's what a freaking public bank does. All, all of the banking infrastructure goes into the community. That's why the biggest public bank in the country is in North Dakota, and it's been around for over 100 freaking years, and everybody loves it. Everybody in North Dakota freaking loves it, no matter what side of the fence you're on politically, whether you're the furthest left or the furthest right, you love the freaking public bank, because you know what an asset it is to your freaking community. If we had that all over the, and by the way, most people don't even know there is a public bank in North Dakota. But if we had that all over the country, that, that would go a long way in changing this freaking country. Big time. But in the meantime, we're stuck with, uh, you know, Wells Fargo, who is uh, screwing people over. Uh, left and right. Uh, folks, if you got any super chats, please do leave them. I will get to them before we sign off here. Um, and uh, I'll also announce some tour dates here. Tour dates, I got them. Man, 2023 is coming soon. I'm going to be in San Diego on January 7th. Get your tickets. Well, January 7th is a free show, actually. So San Diego, come on out. It's a free show, January 7th. Um, but you can find information at romplacone.com. January 28th, I will be in Tucson, Arizona. That is a, uh, a show and the screening of my short film, Loner, the debut screening of my short film, Loner. And you can use the promo code Lucy at checkout for a discount on tickets. That's a limited time only, folks, so don't wait. Get them now. It makes a great holiday gift. That's January 28th in Tucson. February 10th, April 14th, and May 12th, I will be in Los Angeles doing a string of shows at the Glendale Room. Tickets and all information can be found at romplacone.com. And of course, you can follow me on YouTube, uh, YouTube, Ron Placone, Twitter, Mastodon, Instagram, Ron Placone. Uh, so guys, check that out. Grab those tickets. Um, Ron, what's up? This is from Chris Garrett. Chris, thank you so much for the Super Chat contribution. You help keep the show on the air. We cannot exist without you. Ron, are you considering making Antitrust Tuesdays a regular thing? I love it. I love it. Maybe. We'll see. If there's enough going on in the antitrust space, uh, maybe that will become a regular thing. But uh, but I appreciate that. And, um, yeah, we'll see. It's, it's um, Once this is a definitive loss where there's no chance at a last minute buzzard beating miracle. Um, you know, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. And th that's likely what's going to happen. I'm not going to sugarcoat anything. I'm not going to bullshit anything. Chances are we're going to be taking the out here. Um, and that's going to hurt, but, uh, but I'm certainly not going to give up on this beat. I'm certainly not going to, uh, stop covering this stuff. I don't think anywhere else. I, I've not seen any coverage. I've, I've not seen any coverage in the corporate media about this grocery store merger. Barely anything at all. Barely any anything at all. All like like Amy Klobuchar going. I'm a little worried. That's it. That's it. And you know what? This warrants a bigger. Uh, this warrants a bigger response than I'm a little worried. All right. This is much bigger than that. This is. I mean, this could seriously jeopardize our food chain indefinitely. And we already live in a country with a ton of food deserts. I mean, it's freaking gross. 
what we do to food in this country. And by the way, other countries aren't like this. Other countries, first of all, a lot of the shit that we do to food, it's illegal in other places. Look at some of the same products we have here. Read the ingredients that it's in our food. Read the ingredients that's in Quaker oatmeal in the United States. Then read the ingredients in the UK. It's a lot freaking different. You know why? Because the shit we do to our food here is illegal over there. And it's illegal in a lot of other countries. And produce and, and fresh bread and stuff like that, it's affordable in other places. Here, if you want to eat healthy, it's the most expensive. If you want to eat shit, that's that's affordable. That's why like a lot of people, uh, like people in food deserts and stuff, they eat McDonald's constantly because they have no choice. They literally don't have access to food. And that is about to get a lot worse. If this merger goes through, and I don't see much stopping it, that's going to get worse. That is going to get a lot worse. And by the way, add a healthcare crisis on top of that. It's freaking nuts. So, so yeah. So I'm not going to stop covering this beat. So Chris, thank you very much for your, uh, your super chat contribution. I appreciate that very much. You help keep the show on the air. And everybody, thank you for hanging out today. Tune in to Kim tomorrow. Tina and I will be back on Thursday. Uh, and in the meantime, this is Ron Placone for Status Coup signing out. <laughs>